0: Everyone, Sam here. You're listening to Explaining Christianity, a one-season, 6-episode podcast designed to explain Christianity clearly. In each episode, we'll be listening to a short talk by Dave Denson and then spending some time chatting about what we've heard afterwards. You're listening to episode 4. Before we hear the talk, I'm going to read from the book of the Bible which Dave is speaking from. It's called the Gospel of Mark. Mark is one of the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus recorded in the Bible. I'm reading from Mark chapter four, verses one to nine. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30 some sixty, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear.
1: We will face God in judgment for what's in our book. And there's the standard. How will we be found? Guilty. Not guilty because we're more wicked than one another and more evil than one another. That's just like two men with broken legs comparing casts. My cast is better than your cast. Who cares? That's not what it's about. We're found guilty of rejecting God. That's option me. It cannot work. It does not work. It will not work. But there is another option. Now, check this out. This one is called option he. Option he. And it's not based on what I have done, but based on what Jesus has done. But what on earth has Jesus done? God's king, who came from heaven, died. And not by accident, he he chose to die. Now, the death of Jesus is the most famous death in history. There's never been another death that's been commemorated as much as Jesus' death. We see it in glass windows, tattoos, necklaces, everywhere. But the problem with things that are very familiar to us on one level is we can think we know what they're about, but actually have no idea what's going on. And I want to tell you something. I grew up in a loving, beautiful Christian family. But I didn't become a Christian until I was 28 years old, and it wasn't my parents' fault or my my family's fault, but I... (laughs) When I looked in detail for myself at the cross as an adult, I realized I hadn't got it. I missed what was going on. So I want to do something precious right now. What I want to do is I want to take you to the eyewitness account of the death of Jesus for you to read for yourself. Forget what your mother thinks, your father thinks, all these things. For you. I want to take you to the eyewitness account of what Jesus went through on his death, and I want to point out to you a couple of details which I believe may well be the key to unlocking everything for you when it comes to faith, true faith, saving faith. So in your Bibles, come to Mark chapter 15. That's where we're going, right to the end, right to the end of the gospel of Mark. You see, Jesus' ministry only went for three years. He was betrayed, abandoned, sold out, tortured, spat upon, and, and crucified. He's taken to a place that, in one language, is called Golgotha. And another language is called, The skull. And another language is called Calvary. And let me read to you from verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice Eloi, Eloi, lime sabachthani, which means. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, you may well have heard those words a million times, but I want to offer to you that it's very possible you've missed it. Let me point out to you a couple of details here you might never have considered. Think about, firstly, that darkness, the darkness there. Middle of the day, darkness happens. Now, why does that happen? God controls the sun, the moon, the stars, the weather. God controls that. He's made the sky go dark. Why? But in the Old Testament of the Bible, when the sky would go supernaturally dark like this, it was often a sign of punishment, God's punishment, God's judgment. But secondly, you've got these words. Jesus crying out while he's dying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, I never got it. Some people could read that and go, oh, well, Jesus is obviously furious at God, his Father, for letting this tragic event happen to him, but that's not it. Jesus is actually quoting a part of the Old Testament at this point, and we know that Jesus knew he was gonna die. He made it very clear that the center of his life was his death. Success in his life was departure from it. So why on earth is he crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because on the cross, that's exactly what was happening. On the cross, Jesus was acting as your substitute. Jesus was taking the punishment for your sin. He was dying to rescue you. Because even though you and I have dedicated our entire lives to self To me, not he. This incredible truth thumping away at the heart of God's word is that no matter where you've been, what you've seen, no matter what you've said and what you've thought, no matter how disgusted at yourself you are, God loves you. He loves you more than you've ever loved anyone in this world. He loves you. And because he loves you, he sent his son. As he lay dying on the cross, God took your sin and he put it on Jesus. You could say on the cross, Jesus Christ became the most sinful man who ever lived. As billions and billions and billions of sins of billions of believers were poured out on him. And then, God, his Father, took the punishment that you and I deserve. A punishment so severe, a wrath so terrifying that an eternity in hell will not suffice it. And he took the punishment we deserve and he poured it out on Jesus my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because as Jesus lay dying, God poured out anger, wrath, punishment upon his beloved Son. Jesus died in your place. So the question becomes how much sin? is left on the soul of the person who trusts in Jesus. How much sin? Nothing. It's gone. It's gone. Can you think of yourself honestly right now and not understand that? It's gone. What is it that makes the good soil good? Is it that your parents are Christians? Is it that you've got baptized or you know all the books of the Bible? Is it that you try and do nice things? You give money to the salvos or your, your charity or Do you care about the environment and animals and the, you know, that you do these things? Nothing wrong with those things, my dear friends, but listen. In Mark chapter 4, verse 20, Jesus tells us what makes the good soil good. As he explains the meaning of the parable, he says this Others, like seed sown on good soil, do what? Hear the word and accept it. What is it that makes the good soil good? It's not that the soil is good. What is it that makes God's people good? It's not that we're good, but that the one good man sacrificed everything to make us righteous before God. God's standard for us is perfection. On our own, we can never make it. And yet through what Jesus has done by paying the punishment for your sin, my sin, my cowardice, my anger, my jealousy, my fury, my rage, my lies, my lies, my lies, my lies. And yet I, and if you knew me, you would laugh at this. I can stand before God as his son. Hey. And you as his son or daughter forgiven completely that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the perfection of his son, do you see? Because I'm covered by the righteousness of Jesus. Entry into God's kingdom is not based on how good you are. You don't need to fret it and sweat it. Oh, I hope I've done the right thing. I hope I haven't been noticed doing the wrong thing. That's not the game. It's not life. It's not reality the reason you can be sure of heaven is that God's salvation is based not on how good you are, but on what Jesus has done for bad people. Heaven is not full of good people who've done good things, but full of bad people, bad people, bad people who've been saved by the only good man. And that means for us, the choice is so simple. my dear friends, this is a choice for you tonight. me, He, you can live and die trusting in yourself but you will face God in judgment depending on your own righteousness and you'll never make it. Or he, trusting in what Jesus has done on your behalf with your name on his lips, with your sin on his soul, And trusting that when he promises anyone who repents and believes will have eternal life, that he means what he says. His speaking is his doing. That he's telling us the truth. You know, one of the beautiful things about the soils in this passage is that they're not fixed. It's not set. I reckon I've been every one of these soils, you know. And I don't know which one you've been in tonight. I don't know which one you're in. And may will be that you've rejected God your whole life and you know it. You've been pretending or not pretending, but you know now the truth that Jesus died for you, that he's offering you eternal life. And you know now that you've been hard soil, but you actually want to accept what Jesus has done. Or it may be that you've been the shallow soil that's grown and then fallen away, and you think there's no way God will ever have me back. He loves to welcome people back. Or it may be that you've drifted and drifted and drifted and been distracted and started to prioritize earthly things over eternal things. And you've realized the futility of living that way. We don't meet Jesus because of anything we do. We meet Jesus because he comes to us and offers us salvation. And I want to ask you tonight, will you take it? Will you take what he is offering you? Will you accept The gift of eternal life, it's yours if you want it. Now, the way we do that is very simple. The Bible tells us if anyone calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Let me say that again. If anyone calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Not if only good people call upon the name of the Lord. Not if people who've got their act together call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus is not saying, fix your life up, then come to me. He says, come to me, I'll fix your life up. And we come to God and we simply pray to him and call upon his name and ask for salvation. And I'm going to do that right now. On your behalf, I'm going to pray out loud and I want to invite you in your heart, in your head, silently to pray along with me. But you can't fake it. But if you feel that God is truly calling your heart and soul to him tonight, I want to invite you to take him up on his offer. Dear God, I know right in my heart that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I know that I don't deserve your gift of love and life. I am guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for what I've done, for what I've said, for what I've thought. Please forgive me for rejecting you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me so that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to offer me new life and give it to me. Please come into my heart and change me so that I may live with Jesus as my ruler.
0: Well, there's a whole bunch of questions that spring from that. I mean, what's to stop us from just living our lives the way that we want and then turning to Jesus on our deathbed? That just doesn't seem fair. Doesn't that mean that really bad people can still go to heaven?
1: That's exactly the point. Uh, The point is that Jesus Christ died for sinful people, for bad people, for people like you and people like me all of us uh, and so there's a couple of consequences that spring forth from that but uh, primarily here's what it means number one your sin does not disqualify you from god's kingdom it qualifies you for his grace it doesn't disqualify you uh, the second thing is though that you're exactly right that only bad people need apply only sinful people need apply and even on their deathbed uh, there's there's actually a specific example of that very thing in the scene of jesus's death recorded in the gospel of luke so in luke 23 jesus is hung between uh we read that jesus is hung between two criminals as uh, we read elsewhere and in the very last moments one of them turns um, to jesus and says jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom now for many of us we would say something like well well whoa 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 he hasn't been baptized he hasn't gone to church he hasn't done any good deeds he hasn't been kind he's a criminal he's getting murdered for that getting executed for that so he must have been bad Yet jesus says truly i tell you chapter 23 Truly, I tell you, today you will be be with me in paradise. You use the word fair, and that's an interesting word. It, it's always worth remembering what is fair when it comes to us and God. What's fair, and by that we mean perfectly just, perfectly just, would be all of us going to hell, all of us receiving punishment for what we've done. That's fairness. What we receive by trusting in Jesus and being given eternal life is not fairness in that respect. We receive mercy. We're not given what we deserve. And more than that, we're also given grace. So we're given what we don't deserve and not given what we do deserve. Jesus dies in our place. He's the one who is treated by not virtue of what he does, but by virtue of what we've done on his behalf. So uh, I'm not going to try and um, play word games and be like, oh, no, no, but then actually still good people can get saved. No, no. If you think of yourself as a good person, if you think of yourself as somehow valid before God, qualifying yourself before God I mean, it just means you haven't got it. You haven't got it. There is nothing in your hand that you bring. There's nothing on your resume that can qualify you for God. You've fallen short. The only thing on your resume that qualifies you is that Jesus died for you, and uh, if if you realise that, then you need to you need to turn and put your trust in that now.
0: If someone did pray to trust in Jesus today, what are some good next steps? What should they do next?
1: Well, uh, there's a couple of things that I would put down as essential next steps for anyone, whether or not you've prayed uh, to put your trust in Jesus, but especially if you have. The first one, and this is only for you if you have, is to relax, enjoy it. Uh, Think about you and God. Think about the relationship that you have with God, that you know God through what Jesus has done. John chapter 17, Jesus says, eternal life is the knowledge of God. Um, We also learn that the angels celebrate when one of God's children comes home. So just rest in God, relax, talk to him. Uh, Enjoy being a Christian. Um, I reckon that's the best thing. Now, the next thing is true of everyone, regardless of whether or not you've prayed. Uh, number one is to read the Bible for yourself. The Bible is not uh, written in order for only like professors and university lecturers to read. It's written for everyone. I would recommend the Gospel of Mark, what we're reading, going through in the talks at the moment. Uh, that is a perfect place to start. Why don't you just read a bit? It's not a competition. Just read a little bit. Just think about it as you do so. What am I learning here? What am I learning about me, about God, about Jesus? What's it mean? Uh, the 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 Bible is God's word to us. It's how he reveals the truth about us um, and the truth about him uh, for all of us. And so it's absolutely essential that you do that. Uh, there, There is no better step you can make. The next thing that uh, you just have to do, I think, is connect yourself in with a local church that teaches the Bible. Now, how do you know what kind of church teaches the Bible? Well, uh, let me i suppose give you some advice which is to say uh, denominations by that i mean anglican presbyterian baptist some of them are really good some of them won't be good the key thing is that they are evangelical churches and that just means that they're bible teaching and so if on their website or if you talk to a minister or pastor and they say they're evangelical there's every good chance uh, that that will be a good church not always but usually that will be a great church to go to the church is god's gift to christians god's gift to non-christians as well by the way uh, to help one another to point each other to jesus to to gather together uh, to, to teach to learn to encourage uh, and so i wouldn't be here today you know if around six months into being a christian uh, i hadn't joined a local church it's the like just an essential step for all of us so read your bible Um, Pray to God, talk to him, and join a church. Uh, Remember, this is not a competition you're doing against anyone else. This is about your life. It's about the reality of life. So uh, uh, think about it. Continue to investigate it. And if you haven't prayed to God yet uh, to put your trust in Jesus, don't stop looking. Don't stop thinking. Continue that journey. Uh, I promise you there is nothing better you will ever do in your life.
0: Thanks for listening to the Explaining Christianity podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to whatisachristian.net to do so. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Virtual Church Assist.